Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Battleground this morning. I hope everybody, did everybody have a storm yesterday? I know we had one that knocked our power out till about 5.30 this morning, so don't get too close. <laughs> yeah, she went over to her mom's house and got cleaned up. So we're all good. Helps us appreciate the, the basic things of life. So take your copy of God's Word. Turn with me to Psalms 49. We preach through the Word here, and this is the text for us today. Um, I wanted to show you something. Our growth group leaders, we just went over this with them last week. As you go out on the left where our growth group curriculum is, there you should see a couple of sheets of paper that looks like this. What we're doing through the summer is we're trying this out and we want your feedback on it. What we're attempting to do with this is give you a template, a template that helps you study the text I'm going to preach every week. So you pick this up and you literally just work through the questions as you study your Bible throughout the week. And when you come here on Sunday, I promise you, you will be equipped to engage with me in God's Word. So just give that a try. This is what we're going to do in growth group for the summer. We're going to tweak it a little bit. We want your feedback on that. So it's excited about that, and I hope you are. So check that out for us. But now let's turn to God's Word. Psalms 49, and we're going to stand. So go ahead and stand with me. We're only going to read the first six verses here because we're going to go through this almost every verse this morning. Put this in our minds as we orient ourselves towards the Lord. As believers, we are not called to envy the prosperous, nor put, their, nor put our own trust in riches but to live in light of eternity. Hear God's word this morning to the choir master, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Hear this, all peoples. Give ear, all inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor together. My mouth shall speak wisdom. The meditation of my heart shall be understanding. I will incline my ear to a proverb. I will solve my riddle to the music of the lyre. Why should I fear in times of trouble when iniquity of those who cheat me surrounds me, those who trust in their wealth and boast of their abundance of riches? Let's pray together. Lord, as as the psalmist has posed a question to us this morning, and not only us, but as it were to the whole world, Lord, we pray this morning that you would give us ears to hear. That we would not just hear from your word, but that we would listen. We need your help, Lord. For our minds are busy with the, the things that we have done this past week. Some have went very well and some haven't went well at all. Some of us are so tied up that we're having to watch online this morning. There's things going on in our life. And so I pray for all of us this morning, whether we are home or whether we are here, that you will help us lean into your word this morning and be forever changed. In Jesus' name, amen. So do you remember, I, I don't know if it's still playing or not, it's, it was called The Biggest Loser, where these really huge people would all get together and they would compete who could work, who could lose the most weight. Do you remember there was two really in-fit people there, one was a young lady, one was a young man, and they were in the super shape. 
Well, it was, it's not funny, it's ironic that that guy's name's Bob Harper. He was working out at the gym one day, and he had a heart attack, and he almost died. He said if it wasn't for the medical people just having to be working out there with him, he would have died. It just, you just sit there and think about his whole, his whole TV program and career up to this point was being trying to help. Get in shape or you're going to die early. And there he is in the best shape of his life and has a heart attack and almost dies at the gym. Life is fragile. It's delicate. No matter who you are, no matter how much you have or don't have, no matter how much good a shape you're in or how bad a shape you're in. There is a reality, and this is my very, this is my attempt. If this illustration doesn't mean anything to you, just wax philosophical for a few minutes. By and large, we as Westerners in the American church treat all of life like we're going to roll out, roll out dough for make, to make bread or cookies. And if you just have a little bit and you roll it out, do you ever notice it gets sort of thin around the end? So what do you need? You need a little bit more dough. Put a little bit more dough, roll it out, roll it out, roll it out. Life is about whoever gets to the end and has the biggest what? This biggest cake pan. Look how big mine is. You're a little tiny. Mine's big. Here's what the wisdom of the psalmist wants to remind us today. This is death. No matter how big your pie is and how much dough you put on it and roll it out and brag on it and make much of it, one day death is going to be pressed upon you and you will be separated from all of it. That's the sober reality of the message that the psalmist wants us to see today. Think about it. We, we sold people. We bought and sold people in this country for years, master, slave, think about this, one day the slave died, and he took not his chains in death, but one day the master died, and he took not his wealth to death either, death is the great equalizer, like it or not, it's just simply the way it is, listen to James Montgomery Boyce here, speaking about us, our challenges this morning. Most of us in the West, even when we are very active in Christian work, are materialistic. That is, we think in terms of things. We see rather than spiritual realities we cannot see, and we are inclined to trust wealth or what we can accomplish with it. This is our problem this morning. There is a God of this age. The God that will be, that has already been embraced and pumped into the new atheist. It is simply this. We can be good for goodness sake. We don't need God. The God of this age is nothing more than human flourishing. Mine and yours, mostly mine. <laughs> I'll help you flourish as long as it makes me feel good when it's appropriate to me. This is the God of the age. So what do we do with all of this? The, the psalmist in his wisdom this morning speaks above all the melees of the American dream and says, I have something to say. Will you listen to me? And so let's listen to him this morning. 
For this is God's word. He, he stops with the worship and the praise, which we've been talking about. And now he puts on his teacher hat and his prophet hat. And he gives us a call, really, as it were, a clarion call to wisdom. This is a universal appeal. It goes out to all peoples. You see that verse 1? Hear, hear this, all peoples, all inhabitants of the world. And yet he wants to be distinct in the all. You see it, verse 2, both low and high. He's speaking of class, classism there that exists all over the world. But in rich and poor. Most countries know very little to nothing about middle class. They, they, you're either rich or you're poor. You, you're either born into a high class or you're born into a low class. And if you're born into the low, you have no rights, no opinion. It is the higher class that rules today. So the psalmist puts on his preacher hat and he says, look at verse 3 and 4. My mouth shall speak wisdom. The meditation of my heart shall be understanding. He gives us two imperatives. I've heard this a few times in my life. This, these two words, listen and hear. Especially in marriage life. This I oftentimes hear, but I don't always listen. Christina knows that if I'm not looking at her, she's talking, I'm hearing, not listening. <laughs> you say, look at me. You know, we got to get each other's eye contact. We teach this to our kids. If you speak... Wait till you're addressed. Well, I need to look at you to make sure that I hear you. It's what the psalmist says. Look at me this morning. Listen to what I'm saying. Hear me. Because to listen is to gain understanding. Just to hear. It just passes away. So you ask a question. It's what teachers do. If you're a teacher, you know this. You need to ask a question. So the question is in verse 5 and 6. The question from wisdom. Why should I fear? That's ultimately the question. He poses it. It's a question. You ever ask somebody a question where the, the answer is really obvious? <laughs> Why should I fear? Especially in times of trouble. So what does it mean to fear? This is really important this morning. Why should I fear? What does it mean to fear? Does it simply mean to be afraid? Yes, it means to be afraid. To be in dread. Even to be anxious. He's saying... Why should I be afraid? Why should I be in? But also, fear means to revere. It means to elevate. It means to lift it up. In other words, fear can mean to be intimidated, or it can mean to elevate something above what it should be. That's what he's saying about fear. Why should I fear in times of trouble? Why does he say this? Because in their context, the biggest fear is that the rich always oppress the poor. That's not just in their day. That's just reality. It is the rich most often who cheat. That's what he says. Why should I fear those who cheat me? You see that? Verse 5. Look at verse 6. For those, Why should I fear those who trust in their wealth? And why should I fear those who boast of the abundance of their riches? I want you to see two words here in verse 6. You see the word trust? It means confidence. It means reliance. Why should I fear those who gain their confidence and their trust, their faith in their stuff? I love the word boast. It's almost a worship word. Why should I praise? 
Why should I fear those who praise in the abundance of their own riches? That's the question of wisdom. It's a good question. Because if we're all honest in here this morning, poverty scares us all to death. Nobody wants to be poor. Do the poor want to be poor? No. Nobody wants to be poor. Nobody wants to be born in a low class. Nobody wants to be in a minority citizenship in a country where the, those in majority make rules to oppress those that are not. Nobody wants to live in that situation. And everybody's afraid of it. So how do we respond to this fear? We heap up wealth to protect ourselves from it. That's what we do. And this is what he is warning us against this morning. What are you living in this morning? Are you afraid that the realities of life is going to get you at some point in time? So you buy into this thing of heaping it up more and more and more. There is a story that helps us understand this psalm. And I want us to see it this morning. Luke 12. Luke 12, matter of fact, as you turn to it, growth group leaders, it would be a good passage to start with in your growth groups today. If I can't get into all of it, back up a few verses and get this whole verse in context and maybe talk about it in your growth group for a few minutes. Luke 12, let's start at verse 16 with the parable. You see, this is important. This is the person that he's warning us against. So Psalms 49 is a commentary on this man. Listen to it. The parable. The land of a rich man produced plentiful, and he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax. Eat, drink, be merry. Verse 20. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. I wonder if we could be honest with ourselves this morning and say, by and large, we all are either this guy or we are tempted to live life reacting to this guy. And parents, we need to own this this morning. This guy is the model for what we hope our children will be. We hope that they will work hard in school night and day. But they also need to play sports all weekend long really hard just so they can get maybe a scholarship or maybe they can make it to pros. They need to get that high degree. Why? So they can have a good degree. Why? So they can have a big house and big wealth and retire early and take it easy. We can live all of life with this man as the model of what we should be. Wealthy and comfortable. You see, this has a word for all of us here, if we're willing to hear it this morning. This is a warning, a comfort for the poor, and a warning to those that would dare teach myself or my family to fear, to reverence, to respect, or to live life in a being afraid of those who boast in their riches. Why? 
Okay, I hear him. But why? That's a good question. We teach our kids to ask that question. Why? To some degree, you don't even have to teach your kids. They get to an age, they say, everything's why. Why? That's a good question. Just listen to Proverbs eleven twenty eight. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall. Listen to this language. But the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. It seems to be that the Bible teaches that there is a flourishing that is greater than simple physical flourishing. Seems to be. So what is the logic of all of this? That's just what we're talking about, wisdom. So we need to bring logic in. Another way of saying this is there's some logic going on this morning. There is a right way to understand something and a wrong way to understand it. What's the logic of wisdom? There's three. I want you to see it. The logic of life, the logic of death, and the logic of blessing. In other words, what I mean by that, a right way to understand life, and there's a wrong way to understand life. It's very simple this morning. This will help you in every area of life. We're just going to restrict ourselves here. Life is precious and it is priceless. He makes his point very clear in verse 7. Remember the question though. Don't get lost in the question. The question is, why should we be afraid of those who have wealth or who boast in that? Why should I not elevate them? Verse 7. Truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. Very simple, logical, even common sense principle here. Life cannot be ransomed. That's what he's teaching us. See the word ransom right there? Verse 7 means redeem. In the Old Testament, there was monetary connotations with this. In other words, if you had an animal, let's say an ox, and he breaks the fence... He goes over to your neighbor and he gores one of your neighbors or he kills one of their animals. That created a debt. A redemption price had to be paid for the damage that that created. Here's what he's saying. God is the author and source of life. And you can't pay him off to get a little bit more time. The wealthy, you see, live all of life saying, I can buy my way through life and I can buy my way to eternity. At least I can put it off. How do they do that? It's simple. We will purchase the best health care. We will save for our best retirement plan and get ourselves a vacation home at the beach where the air is clean. We will use our money to extend our life and all the while they have neglected the very source of life and that God can't be bought. This is what he's saying. It's a silly illustration, but I'm, maybe I come up with silly illustrations when the power's off, you know. You go into the pantry and you look in the back of the pantry, you find this box of cereal. It's that peanut butter puff kind. The kind when you put milk in it, it turns the milk to peanut butter. You know, when you drink it, it's just like drinking liquid peanut butter. Ooh, and you get it out and you, you say, I got this whole box. I'm going to hide it from the kids. Just going to eat it myself. You look at it, it expires in two days. I can't eat this whole box of cereal in two days, so what do I do? I get in my car, I go to food line, I walk up to the desk where all the people that's higher up sit up there behind the desk, and I say, help me out here. You see this box of cereal? It expires in two days. If I give you a couple dollars, can you change the expiration date? 
Now, they might call security. Or they might just look at you like you're stupid. That's the common sense of this. I'm just... You can't, as a wealthy person, say, Hey, God, if I donate a million dollars to Battleground Community Church, will you give me six more months? That's just not the way it works. But people oftentimes think that way in the way they live, the way they plan. Why can life not be ransomed? This is an important principle because life is priceless. Your life is priceless. Your life is precious. By the way, those we oppress, they're precious too. This is a principle of life. It does not matter what we think. For the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice. Listen, verse that he should live on forever and never see the pit. The pit means the grave. We only have one life and it can't be extended. No, not one day. No, not one hour. No, not five seconds. The price for your life is an infinite price. In your money, you won't purchase it. And nobody else will either. This is the simple logic to say, think, people, before we worship the wealthy and before we worship money, before we spend the money that God gives us buying lottery tickets trying to be like the wealthy. I know I might have stepped on somebody's toes. That's what it means in today's terms. There's a weight, a scales, and your life sits in there and no amount of earthly money can make that scale go up. Not any amount. So why should we not be afraid or elevate those? Because of the logic of life, but also because the logic of death. This is coming on all people. So why then should we not waste our life, our one life, living in fear? The fear of the what if. The fear of I want to be like that person. I'll be happy if I can just get to whatever that is. Why should we not do that? Because we must ask ourselves a common sense question. What is inevitable and unavoidable? What is there inevitable and unavoidable end? Look at verse 10. For he sees that even the wise die, the fool and the stupid alike must perish. Don't you like when the Bible says that you can just read it? The fool and the stupid alike must perish and leave their wealth to others. So talk to me this morning. What is, according to Scripture, what is those who trust in wealth and encourage us to do the same? What is their inevitable, unavoidable end? Death. How much of this pie that they're rolling out and wanting us to roll it out to, how much of that goes with them in death? None of it. They leave it all behind. When this presses in on them, they will go into eternity and their stuff will not. And neither will ours. They all die. The wise and the fool. How much do they leave? They leave it all. What is their possession? Verse 11. Their grave are their homes forever. You see, in death, you can't pull up there once, once you pass into death and say, oh, 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 God, I got a lot of money. How, how much would the best room cost? I'm not, I don't want to stay in that one that might have, you know, them, them bugs or something. It makes me, it's just thinking about it. I want the good room. 
I got a lot. Of See, the master and the slave were both dropped into the ground. He did not keep his plantation, nor his tobacco crops that was in these big barns, and all of his stuff was still there when they put him in the ground. This is just the reality, the common sense of life. I thought about this illustration last night, and I'm sitting there going, Stephen, it might be the fact that the side of town you grow up in, the parks were sometimes a little bit dangerous, and sometimes people, people would steal almost anything. And maybe this is not true everywhere, but most parks that I've been to, they chain and bolt everything to the ground. You ever noticed it? It's hard to take that picnic table with you if you want to move it over there and borrow it because they've, dro- they've driven a stake in the ground. They put a bolt in it. Matter of fact, the parks that I used to go to, they had those big metal trash cans. They had them bolted to a pole, and they even had the lid to the trash can chained. Why would somebody steal a trash can lid? I don't know, but apparently maybe the kids played with it or something. That's a picture of life. That's what he's saying. All of your stuff comes, no matter how much you pay for it, it comes with a chain and it's bolted to the ground. So why spend our life in fear of those who have more stuff bolted to the ground than we do? You see, there is the truth that everybody lives by faith. It's just a matter of whether you live by a foolish faith or a faith that comes from the Lord. Look at verse 13. This is the path, the path of those who have foolish confidence. You see that? They have a foolish faith. Why? Because they put their trust in their stuff. And the logic of life is their stuff won't buy a longer life. And the logic of death is it's happening. And you can't take any of it with you. You don't have to turn here. It's not in your notes. Ecclesiastes 3.11 I love this text because it helps us understand the people that are lost in our life that we love. He has made everything, Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11, He has made everything beautiful in His time. Also, He has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done From the beginning to the end. God has put in His creation and creatures that He has created a desire for the transcendent. And we spend all of our life trying to get to it. The fallacy is we think that it is somewhere inside and of ourselves. Charles Taylor, a Catholic philosopher, says this, very helpful. There is a fear and anxiety that our actions, goals, achievements, and life have a lack of weight, gravity, thickness, substance. There is a deeper resonance which they lack, which we feel should be there. There is then a temptation among the secular towards transcendence. We cannot seem to live without it. We may be a secular culture, but every person longs for their life to count. And hear the wisdom of the psalmist. You can labor all your life buying into what other people says makes it count, and it'd be all for nothing at the end of the day. So there is a conclusion to all of this. He just doesn't leave us hanging, praise the Lord. And he goes into this logic of blessings, 
Why should we not be afraid? Why should I not elevate those who trust in earthly prosperity? Why should that not be the goal of my life? It gives us the answer to the question to start with, just in case we missed it. Do not be afraid when a man becomes rich. Right? He summarizes again everything he's already said. Their houses increase. They have this great glory, this big name. You go to school. Ever been to colleges or schools? They got names on all the buildings. Do you know who they are? We don't remember. Go to the Myers building. There was a guy named Myers one day who really thought it was a big deal that somebody wanted to put his name on the building. Forty years later, nobody knows who Myers is. Why should I not be afraid of that? Look at verse 18. There's a couple verses in this text this morning that are incredibly important. Verses verse 18. For though while he lives, listen, he counts himself blessed. While he lives. In other words, with all his stuff, he looks at his stuff and says, I'm blessed. Sound familiar? Turn on TBN. Does it sound familiar? Oh, God has blessed me. Look at my Bentley. God has blessed me. I bought my wife a Lamborghini last week. And by the way, do you know what that does to the poverty-stricken people who watch that? If only I had as much faith as him, God would give me that stuff. They are nothing more than preying on the poor. You see, this is the wrong view of blessing. The wrong view of blessing is that which we call, there's two things, and one of them, I'm going to step on thin ice, and I know it. But these are important this morning. Because we call things a blessing that are lesser. God's blessed me. Look at my fill in the blank. Read the Bible, brothers and sisters. By and large, from cover to cover, riches are a curse. Not a blessing. Read it. Think about it. Why? Because wealth and abundance fight for God's status in our life. They demand loyalty. It demands to have more brothers and sisters in your bank account. It, it demands us to put elevate it. This is the fallacy of this blessing. Jesus died... To make me physically prosper. In other words, my own flourishing equals blessed. There's another one. And this is the one where I'm skating out on thin ice. It's hard to have this conversation. But it needs to be said. Because you see, the closer to the truth you get and still leave out the truth, the more dangerous it is. It is the social gospel. The social gospel is far more dangerous because it contains much more truth. It is this. Jesus died to free other people from their physical issues. And so, blessed life for me is not simply my own flourishing. is that I need to give my life for yours. Now, is there some truth in that? Absolutely. Who was the most merciful person on earth? Jesus, 
He healed people everywhere he went. Raised the dead, healed the sick. The fallacy is this. Jesus died to free others from their physical issues. That's why he died on the tree. That's why we just got through singing about the cross. Is that true? Is that ultimate? In other words, laboring for others flourishing equals blessed. So laboring for my flourishing, labor for other people flourishing equals blessing. Put those two on the shelf for a minute. and Let's just look at the text here. Let's just look at our Bible. I want you to see this is a greater the lesser argument. Of course we should be the most helpful people on earth as Christians. But there is a true and greater blessing. And I want you to see it. It's in verse 15. Psalms 49, verse 15. I hate it when this happens. I love it when it happens. When I get to a text and I see such a critical text in all of Scripture that I had just completely missed my whole life. Psalms 49, 15 is that text. Listen to what it says. But God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol, for he will receive me. The word Sheol Grave, death. Turn with me to Ephesians. When Paul, most people believe. You know, the apostles and disciples knew God's word far better than any of us do. And when they wrote things and they wrote their letters to the churches, they're pulling from Scripture, the Old Testament Scripture. In Ephesians chapter 2, I want us to see that. Make sure you hold your place in verse 15. With me at chapter 2, before we read it, let me just make sure I don't... These Ephesians is so good. Because right here, in these first two or three chapters in Ephesians, he tells us the greater. Look at Ephesians 1 to start with. Verse 3 so we know what he's talking about here before we read it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who blessed us in Christ with every what? Spiritual blessing. So now, I wish I could read Ephesians 1. Don't have time this morning. Let's look at Ephesians 2. Still talking about spiritual blessings here. Listen to what he says. Ephesians 2, look at verse 1. And you... We're dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince and power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Verse 4 Praise the Lord. But God, being rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, listen to the present, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and His kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Do you see verse 4? Let me read it again. 
And verse 15 in Psalms 49 says this, But God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave. He will receive me. Do you see this, brothers and sisters? In all of ours, in all of theirs, search for transcendence. There is only one, Jesus Christ the righteous, who came down in His transcendence and paid my ransom and your ransom so that we might be redeemed and enter into the family of God right now in this life. Do you see the difference between that and a gospel that will labor for someone's sobriety but not labor for their soul? You can go to hell, drunk or sober. We must go to people and label to help them with what's ailing them in their life. But we must not forsake the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because this, brothers and sisters, is the greatest blessing in all the world to the people who need it the most. We must help those. We must love those more than we love ourselves. But we must tell them, To God has made a way right now that you can be adopted into His royal family. Why would we want to leave that out? I'm not done. (laughs) That's not it. There's more. There's more. 1 Corinthians 15, another mountain peak verse. Okay, we're cause of Christ is the transcendent one and He redeems our life right now? What about death? What about death? This is coming, Stephen, still on, on us that are saved. It's still coming. What about death? Oh, I wish I could read more of this. 1 Corinthians 15, look at verse 50. I tell you this, brothers. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. And the perishable puts on the imperishable And the mortal puts on the immortality. Then shall come to pass the saying that is written. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death where is your victory? O death where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. Verse 57. But thanks be to God. Who gives us the victory. Through the Lord Jesus Christ. Through Christ. He paid your ransom. So that you might have life. Right now. And He has defeated the sting of death in our life. Because listen, though the physical does not pass through, every piece of the spiritual does. This is what the Bible says. Don't labor for that which passes away. Labor for that which is eternal. Do you remember John 14? The disciples, the light was starting to come on. Something bad bad about to happen. To Jesus. You remember what he said to him? He said, don't be troubled. Don't be afraid. How did he comfort them? 
Just let's make sure that you store up enough in this life. No. Wouldn't it comfort them, would it? Would that have comforted them when Jesus was fixing to die? He was fixing to leave. Something was about to change. No. He comforted them and saying, I'm going to my Father. And my Father's got a house. And it's got a lot of rooms. And I'm going to where my Father is. And I'm preparing rooms. And one day I'm coming back. And I'm taking you where I am. It's good news. Listen, don't you for a second think heaven's about you getting some mansion and a big, big crown on your head and a big piece of land to live on. Heaven is heaven because God is there. Because we get to see and with our eyes the transcended Son of God and live and know Him forever. That's good news. And we get to know Him right now. Right now. And whatever you do in your life, don't you ever leave that out of it. It's an imperative. It travels with us now into eternity. So what? It's really a... Well, therefore, because all of this is true, and really honestly very clear. Turn with me to Mark. You see, you haven't had... A sermon, nor a gospel presentation, there is not a call to respond. The good news of God's word demands us to respond to it. The only wise conclusion to Psalms 49 is to follow Christ and live. It's what Jesus said. Remember Mark 8, look at verse 34. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. Verse 36 summarizes the whole message today. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Believers, we are not called to envy the prosperous, nor put our trust or their trust in riches. Who could pay the price for your precious life? And he did with his very own. The question is, will I leverage the rest of my life for the cause of Jesus Christ? Listen, I don't know how much time I've got left. And you don't know how much time you've got left either. The question is, what are you going to do with it? Turn with me to 1 Peter and we'll close with this verse. I just want you to see the first couple verses. All of it is good. 1 Peter 4, all the way to verse 11. I, want you, I wanted you to see what I was working through here. I worked all the way down to verse 11. It was so good. I want you to just grab the main point here. Notice the gospel center. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourself with the same way of thinking. 
For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live the rest of their time in the flesh no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Do you know what your life is about? Do you know what the will of God is? Brothers and sisters, I want you to hear me this morning, unless I'm misunderstood. When you get the gospel right, when you realize that you were dead, that you were a slave, and that Christ, because of His great mercy, saved you, what will you leverage for the cause of Christ? You'll leverage it all, brothers and sisters, whether we fill up the orphanages or whether we empty them. Wherever we go, we're not okay looking at pornography because they they pray to an industry that enslaves little girls. We will get rid of it. I'm not going to waste my life with that stuff. Oh, yes, Lord. Oh, people. We will spend our life doing good. But we will do it with the gospel in our mouth and God's word in our hand. So, brothers and sisters, how will you spend the rest of your life? Let's pray. God, this is your word and we love it. It is our very life. It feeds us. It blesses us. It challenges us. It molds us. And so, Lord, as grateful as we are for the lament psalms that tell us that it's okay in the midst of our suffering to ask you questions and As much as we love, Lord, the praise psalms, it just gives you praise for who you are. And we can just come and sing and worship. We thank you for these sobering instructions, these proclamations of truth, and these warnings of what is going to happen in all of our life. Thank you for the gospel today. It has made the truth very clear That every person that is in Kings Mountain's life is precious. It's priceless. And only Jesus paid the price. Oh God, it is our desire that they know that. Not just with their head, but their whole life. Lead us, Lord, where you want us to be. So that we might take this gospel to those who need it the most. But now, Lord, you be honored now through our worship. In Jesus' name, let's stand and sing together.